Lord, we just lift up these requests to you this morning. You know, the things that we've mentioned even before they came off of our lips, you know, the things that are on our hearts, Lord, that we haven't mentioned. Maybe our own fears, our own struggles, our own insecurities, Lord. We just ask this morning that um, your grace and your mercy and your peace is sufficient. That we understand that it is and that we just truly give it all to you. Lord, this morning as we begin to open your word and man, dive into exactly what the peace of God is. That's my prayer this morning is that we have that peace in our lives. Through life, through death, through everything that happens in between. The devil will try his hardest, Lord. The enemy will try to discourage us, to scare us to death, to bring in depression and anxiety in places that was never your intent or your goal, Lord. Let us put our faith and trust in you. In everything we pray, let, it, let us just give it to you, Lord. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So we started um, a few weeks ago with a brand new series simply entitled Victorious. And the whole idea was we are suiting up for life's greatest battle. This is uh, maybe uh, something that was heavy on my heart and Timmy's heart is, is what we've been going through for the last three plus months in our community, in our state, in our country, in our world. Just seeing these various, what, what I would consider spiritual attacks on people's lives. And yeah, we're being attacked physically and health-wise and, and mentally, emotionally, and things that have had to change. But, but all of those have to come from somewhere. And it's my belief that, that everything that is visible, that everything that is physical, things that we can see and things that we can touch, all of that starts in the invisible and the spiritual. And so we've been talking about this armor of God. And, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me and not. You can see it up there on the screen. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is, is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, and he's actually writing from a jail cell, and he's sending them a letter of encouragement, a letter of hope, because where they are positioned, they feel overwhelmed. They feel scared to death. They are not in a godly community. They're in a very pagan community. They're just small church that's there trying to live this life um, directed by Paul through Christ um, in this world. And, and so he knew, he's like, look, they have to be scared to death. So he writes down some words of encouragement, some directions, and he talks about first to like children of the light, and he encourages them as Christians, as followers. He encourages them as husband and wives. He encourages them as parents. And then at the end of, of the letter, he writes what we have marked as um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says this, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, what we are fighting is not just physical and visible is invisible and spiritual. Everything starts in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, Paul's saying, look, all hell is going to break loose in your life at some point. It may happen many times a week. It may happen once a month. It, it, but it's going to happen to all of us. 
That's what he means when he says that day of evil, when all hell has broke loose on your life. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then, and this is where he gets into the armor. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. As I said, when we first started the series, you know, the, the six pieces of the armor of God are actually broke up into two chunks. The first three, um, the word with are used. That means you should always have these things. It's like you wake up in the morning and you're going to go to whatever it is that you normally do. If you're going to the gym, you wake up and you put on your, your gym outfit, your workout outfit, and your athletic shoes, and you're ready to go. You know, if you're going to work, depending on how you work, you put on a certain uniform or you put on certain work attire. There's things that you put on every day to go do what the task that you're about to do. So what Paul is saying is, look, there are certain things in your life that you should put on every single day. The first one is this belt of truth. You have to be buckled in to the truth of God. You have to put on this breastplate of righteousness because our heart is under an attack. And the only way that we can defend our heart is with this breastplate, this thing that's going to cover up, and it's the righteousness of God that's going to cover up our hearts and protect us. And the third thing that he says you should always be with, he said you should need to watch your feet. To kind of put it in layman's terms, put on your shoes. Make sure that your feet are fitted with the gospel of peace. Now, I know, a few, I know a thing or two about fitting some shoes, right? Like when I was in college, I was basically a glorified Al Bundy. And I got a job. I thought one of the coolest jobs you could ever have as, as a 19, 20-year-old guy would be working at a sporting goods store. But all it is is a giant like shoe show surrounded by basketballs. That's essentially it. I mean, everybody that comes in there, they, all they want are shoes. And so for two or three years, that's all I did was fit people into shoes. And, and I had to go to trainings, and you know, Nike had a certain kind of training, and Adidas and New Balance, and we had to go learn their products and learn their shoes and learn how to fit people in them. And, and without fail, it was always the same. Guys would come in, and men would come in, and they say, all right, well, what size shoe you wear? I wear a size 11. All right. So I'd get an 11. I'd bring it out, and they'd put their foot in it. I'm like, dude, you're really like a 9, <laughs> right? No, man, I'm an 11. I've always worn 11. Like, for guys, they always wanted that bigger shoe. Now, what do you think happened when the ladies come in? Ladies come in, I'm like, what size shoe do you wear? I wear a 6 and a half. All right. I'd bring, get a 6 and I'd go get a 6 and a half. I'm like, uh, no. You know, like, it was like trying to put the slipper on the, on the mean stepsister, right? I'm like, it ain't fitting. And, and eventually, I'd be, they'd be like a nine. And I'm like, You're, you wear a size nine, ma'am. I have never wore a size nine, you know? And it's like, all right. And, and so that's what I dealt with on a daily basis. People who knew the shoes that they needed to wear, but they weren't wanting to put on what they needed to put on to make their feet fit properly. So you would have thought I would have learned from that in my experiences as a teenager working at a shoe store. So as life goes on, and, and, and you know, I've met Beth, and we get married, and, and, and life, you get older or whatnot, my feet, Beth affectionately calls them Fred Flintstone feet, right? They're just like square blocks. I mean, they are almost as wide as they are long. And now everybody's looking at my feet, right? I mean, that's, 
ladies' eyes up here, okay? I mean, I'm more than a good set of feet. I mean, it's like I had these feet that are just like blocks. And so to compensate for that, I would, I would, I would get a little bit bigger shoe so it would be a little bit wider so my feet wouldn't hurt. But then as you get older, and it seems like as soon as I turn 40, all of a sudden my knees and my ankles and my Achilles and plantar fasciitis, like all of these things were hurting in my feet. And it got to the point where like every morning I would get up and, and no offense to those older than me in here, but I would call it my old man shuffle. Like I'd get out of bed and I would just have to like shuffle to the bathroom until my feet kind of got worked out and they weren't really hurting as bad as they were. So finally one day I was like, you know what, I, I, I don't care what I've got to pay, I'm going to go figure out what's wrong with my feet. And so I, um, I went to Fleet Feet in Winston and I'm going to plug them. They're amazing. So I go to Fleet Feet, and I'm like, look, my, my feet are killing me. I don't know what I need to do. And they're like, well, let's, let's, let's look. So they had me stand on this computer screen, and it, like, scanned my foot. And then it, like, immediately put everything onto their iPad. And they were like, well, here you go. And they started telling me exactly how long my foot was, how wide my foot was, what the arch was. I mean, everything. It was absolutely incredible. And they looked at me, and they, they looked at the shoe I was wearing. They were like, you're wearing the wrong size shoe. I'm like, but yeah, okay, what, what do I need? And, and, I, and they were like, well, your, your foot's a little wide. And, you know, I was just like, ah, I kind of knew that, but I really didn't want to have to buy a wide, you know, just something about that. And, and they were like, yeah, it's not a little wide. You actually need a double wide. <laughs> and, and I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. And so that's what I'm having to wear. I, I, my shoes are now double wide is what I have to go when I go buy shoes. But I'm going to tell you what. I have not had a foot pain since that day. <laughs> like, it's like a miraculous healing. And so, I, that's fine. I am comfortable in myself in knowing that. But I think about how much of my own life, how many times, you know, playing soccer with Hank, and I'd get home and my feet would just be killing me because my cleats were too small or whatever I was, you know, it's just in life. And all of the pain that I caused myself because what I needed to put on wasn't the proper thing I needed to have. And that is exactly how this armor works. Because way too often what happens in life is we put on a, what we think is a buckle of truth, but it's the truth that we want to believe. Or it's the truth that the world has told us we need to believe. And so maybe it's, maybe it's a worldly truth about what success looks like, or how much money you should have, or what your body should look like. All of these things that the world tells us, we put on those false truths, and what do they do? They cause us pain. Because we're not as successful as we think we should be because we believe the lie. We don't have as much money as we think we should have, or a house as big as we should have, or a car as nice as we should have, or, or whatever, because we've believed a lie. We look in the mirror, we see ourselves physically, and we hate ourselves. Why? Because we have believed a lie. So putting on something that is wrong can cause you pain. The same thing with our breastplate of righteousness. You know, there are certain things that we feel like we can guard our heart with, and it's things of this world. A lot of those times, that's relationships. Well, if I can just get in a relationship with just the right person, whether it's a, a romantic relationship or a friend relationship or, or, or a boss-employee relationship, whatever, you know, if I, just, if, I, if I trust them with all of my heart, then there's no way they'll hurt me. And then we get hurt, and all of a sudden, our heart is broken. Why? Because we thought we could protect our heart or guard our heart with right relationships. And the only relationship that can guard our heart is our relationship with God. And so it's putting on that breastplate of righteousness. And as I said last week, righteousness is truth lived out, right? So this week we're talking about feet and that feet of peace, peace that only the gospel can bring. So when we talk about um, the peace of God or peace with God, those are two different things. 
See, often we think about peace with God, and you may, you may get to this point in your life, and this is a level of spiritual maturity where you can say, hey, I've made peace with God. And I think what that means, and that is a certain type of peace, I think what that means, though, is I've gotten to the place where I realize God is God and I'm not him, right? Like, I've made that peace with God. You're in control and I'm not. But then there's the peace of God, that peace that only God can give. I read a story um, several years ago, and it just kind of stuck with me. Um, Someone commissioned two painters. And they asked the two painters, they were like, if you would, paint us a picture of what you think the peace of God looks like. Well, one painter took his canvas and, and started painting, and he painted this incredible field. And he, and he painted like this little dirt path, and he painted kind of a silhouette of somebody, like carrying a lamb. And in the field was like flowers and, and butterflies, and the sky was blue, and, there, and the sun was out, and there was a little bit of clouds. And, and when you looked at that picture, it was almost like a 23rd Psalm kind of image, you know? Some place that, that is very tranquil, some place that you look at and you're just like, oh yeah, that's, that's peace right there. The other artist, though, started painting And what they painted was a raging sea. And they painted lightning and they painted storm clouds and a torrential downpour and just darkness and all of these things they painted on this picture. And at the very bottom corner, the artist painted a rock. And on this rock, he painted a little bird. And coming down from the sky was this very thin piece of light hitting that bird. And out of that bird's mouth, he wrote, he drew music notes and when they asked him why what what, what, how did how is this the peace of God this is exactly what he said he said the peace he said peace of God is that in the midst of all hell breaking loose you can still sing that's pretty powerful he said to me the peace of God means that when your world is upside down when the storms or life of still are hitting you head on you can still sing. That is the peace of God. Jesus said, look, in this world, you will have trouble. He said in 1427, John 1427, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is telling us right there, look, I'm giving you my peace. I'm leaving it with you. My peace does not look like the world's peace. Because way too often we think peace is a lack of war or a lack of conflict. That's not it at all. We will always have conflict. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. There's, there's, there's no you might, there's no you may, it is you will. Jesus said, look, in this, tr- in this world, you will have trouble. All hell will break loose on your life in this world. But I'm leaving you my peace. My peace looks different than the world. My peace is better. My peace is real. My peace is the truth. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. So why don't we have peace? Why, if anyone on this earth should have peace during this time in history, shouldn't it be believers? 
Shouldn't it be Christians? Shouldn't it be the ones that say that we are followers of Jesus? Because if we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, if we have given our lives, that the Holy Spirit is with us, we have the ability to tap into that peace, to put on that peace in our lives every single day. So why don't we? It's two reasons, and they're two sides of the same coin. We worry too much, and we pray too little. That is why we don't have peace. We worry too much, and we pray too little. Think about it when you were um, younger, you know, and, and you're in high school, and uh, man, you're, you're, the things you worried about back then, you know, does he like me? Does she like me? Am I going to make the team? Am I going to make a, a good grade on this test? Am I going to make the grades to get into college? And then you get into college. And then it's like, am I going to make the grades to get the degree that I want, to get a job that I want? And then you get the job that you want. And then you, you're, you're like, man, am I going to be able to have this like perfect life where I can find that, that soulmate and I'm going to spend the rest of my life with them and we're going to have the, the house and the picket fence and the dog and the cat and the kids. You know, all of those things are what you're worrying about as you are maturing and as you're growing up. And then eventually you'll have some semblance of that. Maybe not all of it, not, maybe not what you've pictured in your mind, but you'll have something. You'll have a job. You'll have an education. You know, you'll, you'll have probably a relationship. You might have kids. I mean, there's things that you will have. And then all of a sudden, your worries, don't they? They shift to something totally different. If you have kids, you start worrying about, do I have them in the right school? Are they getting the education that I, that I want them to have? You know, back in the day, the, 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 kind of the phrase was, you worry about drugs, sex, and rock and roll, right? And now it's kind of shifted a little bit. Uh, you kind of, you worry about school shootings and STDs and meth. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing that parents worry about today. You worry about, am I being a good enough parent? I, I don't know if 50 years ago that that was such a concern as it is right now. Because right now we are just bombasted every single day with something on TV or magazines or articles on social media, how to be a better parent, how to be a good parent, 10 traits of a great parent. And you read them and you're like, man, I'm not any of those. I must be a terrible parent, right? And then you start to, you, you worry about that. How have I messed my kids up? What have I done? How much counseling are they going to need to undo the mess that I've done in their lives? Because that's what we've been told. And then we worry about finances. Am I going to have the money to be able to pay for them, to go to college, to have a car, you know, to do what they need to do so their life can be better than mine? And all of this worry, all, everything that we have built up, all of this does something. In our, in our lives, we cannot keep up with the worry that goes on in our hearts. Because your life will always move in the direction your life, I'm going to say this again, your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. If you're worried, if you're negative, if there's things that are going on, if you're always going to worst case scenario, if you're catastrophizing everything, if, if your life is summed up in this ball of worry, that's the direction your life is going to move. Because your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. If I was to ask you guys this morning, or if you just go out and ask kind of uh, a normal church, or, or just whoever, Christians, if you were to ask the question, do you meditate? Most people would probably say, no, I don't have time to meditate. I'm too busy. Or they think there's something kind of new agey about meditation, you know, or whatever. 
Most people, if you said, do you meditate, their answer would be no. Not on a regular basis, at least. Now, if you ask that same group of people, do you worry? 100% would probably say, yeah, there's some things I worry about. What do you think meditation is? Worry is negative meditation. That's it. You are meditating and you don't even realize it. You're just meditating on the wrong things. You're meditating on the things that you're worried about. You're meditating on this anxiety and fear and worst case. And what if this happens and we can't do this? And what about that or, or whatever? We, um, we're going to the beach uh, next, next, next week, and, um, or a week, week from today. And so I'm just kind of looking through some of the headlines. I'm looking up beach stuff, where we're going, the beach we're going to, what's going on. And then there's this headline, man drowns in rip current. What do you think I've been thinking about for the last 10 days? <laughs> I can't let my kids go in the water, right? It's like, in my mind, it's like, like we're going to get there to Surf City and the whole thing's going to be a giant rip current. And it's going to suck us all out and we're going to be gone. But, but, but you get focused on that and all of a sudden that's the thing that I'm worried about. That's the thing I'm meditating on. Not the fact that our family is getting to have a vacation and we're going to be at the beach and, and we're just going to be able to unwind and chill out and play in the sun and sand and all that kind of stuff. It's no, I'm, what I'm, I'm focused on the thing I'm worried about the most. Not the thing I should be enjoying the most. Worry, number one, is negative meditation. But, but more than that, more than any of that, worry is a sin. Because worrying is saying that I don't trust the promises and the power of God. So I have to worry. I have to be in control. I have to be the one that makes these decisions or gets everything just right. And it's not that at all. We worry too much and we pray too little. One of the things... Um, as a pastor and being in ministry as long as I have, there's little catchphrases that I hear people say that ultimately become like this pet peeve of mine. And, and one of the biggest pet peeves that I hear when people talk about prayer is that when they're facing a situation, and maybe it's a potential job loss, or maybe it's a health concern, or, or whatever it may be, they'll ultimately say at some point, well, all we can do is pray. Like it's our last resort, Right? I'm like, no, you should have already been praying. Like, that should have been the first thing on your mind. You should have been already prayed up and ready to go and, 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 and understanding that God's in control of this. This isn't a situation where we do everything in our power, and when we can't get it done, we call into Calvary. All right, God, come on. All I can do is now is pray. You can, you can take over. No. We have a chance. Prayer is going to the throne of grace, going to the throne of God and saying, God, can you please start with this? Can you do what you need to do? And if you would like to, me to be invited along with you, God, then I'm all for it. But God, you need to be in control first. You need to be the one leading the way. But we don't do that. Prayer is often our last resort. The thing of it is, not only does prayer move the heart of God, prayer literally rewires our brain. There's an incredible book, and, and, and I would encourage all of you guys to read it. It's by an author named Carol, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and she wrote this book called Switch on Your Brain. And she's an incredible doctor, but she's also a believer. And so there's a lot of kind of spirituality um, in with her neuroscience that she's talking about. But she's, she, she did a study in this book, and this is what she said. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain 
to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Prayer can literally rewire your brain. She wrote an entire book about it. 12 minutes of prayer a day for eight weeks can change your brain enough that they can see it on a brain scan. What your strongest thought is, is where you're going to move. If you're focused on the negative, if you're worried about the what-ifs, if you're worried about the negatives of life, where do you think your brain is going to be wired to? To that. One of my, um, I'm going to read this to you. What I, uh, I try, I don't, I'm not really successful every year, but one of my favorite devotionals is uh, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. And um, it's just an incredible little book. And my absolute favorite devotion is August 28th. And the title of it is The Purpose of Prayer. And to me, when I read this the very first time, this, this statement about prayer outside of the Bible is the most profound thing I have ever read about prayer. And it literally changed my life and my outlook on prayer. But he talks. I mean, this was written 100 years ago, if more, if not more. But it's exactly what Dr. Leith is saying. Oswald Chambers says this. To say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying prayer changes me and then I change things. God has established things so that prayer, on the basis of redemption, changes the way a person looks at things. Prayer is not a matter of changing things externally, but one of working miracles in a person's inner nature. not just about prayer changing things it's about prayer changing me that's what it's about we worry too much and we pray too little that's why we don't have this peace of god that's why we struggle so much i'm telling you worry is a it worry is a sin it's distrusting that power it's distrusting who god is and his ability to work out things in our lives. Because it stands to reason, if we, have, if we are buckled up with truth, real truth, the truth of God, if we put on that breastplate that guards our heart with righteousness, and that righteousness is the truth lived out in our lives, doesn't it stand to reason that peace just naturally follows I'm willing to bet if I look back at the timeline of my life, the times of my life where my peace has been the most, most disrupted, the points of my life where I have been worried the most and I've allowed these negative thoughts to lead my life, I guarantee you I can go back and look and there's probably something I believed that was a false truth or I was trying to guard my heart with the wrong thing. Because if you're in the truth and your heart is guarded, Peace will come. It will just naturally be there. No matter what your personality type, no matter what your little idiosyncrasies are about yourself, no matter your quirks, any of that, peace is supernatural. It's not a personality thing. The most anxious, high-strung person in the world can have peace because peace is, comes from the inside and it comes only from God. So this morning, I just want you to imagine your life if your life could be worry-free. 
just saying that, doesn't it feel like a weight is going off your shoulders? Just imagining like, man, what if I didn't worry about my job anymore? What if I wasn't worried about finances? What if I wasn't worried about health concerns or what may happen when I go out? What if I didn't worry so much about my kids and I just let them grow up and I did my best to protect them and trusted God with them? Can you imagine what your life would be like if you had no worry at all? Because no worry is not a lack of bills. It's not a lack of um, health concerns. It's not a lack of conflict. All those things are always going to be here. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus said, my peace, I'll leave you. Because I know in this world, all hell can and will break loose. So I'm leaving you my peace so that in the midst of the storms, you can keep singing. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this incredible peace that you have given us. And I am sorry, Lord, for the times in my life that I have not put it on the way that I should have. You have asked us to be fitted properly with truth, with righteousness, and with peace. God, help us to understand that we can't skip the first two and expect the third. If we're believing a lie in our life, maybe that's what's causing our unpeace, our restlessness. God, if our heart's not protected, maybe that's what's causing this conflict in our lives. The point that our, our peace is disrupted. God, help us Fix the root so we can have the fruit that we need to have. Lord, this morning I pray that we receive the peace that you promised us, the peace that you gave us so freely. Lord, help us to worry less and pray more. To give everything we have to you. And to trust you and your power and your promises. Amen.